Hey, this is David Dearman. I'm the pastor at Memphis Tabernacle, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope that this message inspires you and builds your faith. I hope that it gives you fresh insight and strength to see God move in your life. Enjoy the message. I was thinking, Pastor David, I was praying, and I I just heard the Lord say that these days, I pray more than anything, you will change your drill bit. Change your drill bit. I heard that prophetically in the spirit, and I want you to... I want you to understand what, what, where I'm going with this. And I just love you, Pastor David and Tiffany and John and Debbie and all of you. And thank you for having me back. Don't know one another much after the flesh, but we know one another in the spirit. And so when you talk about water and you talk about the rivers that need to go into this city. And we talk about the blood of Jesus that speaks louder than the blood of Abel that was shed from the ground, crying out. And Jesus said to Cain, I hear your brother's blood. And it's speaking a message, and it turned the ear of God. And don't ever think that where darkness has been, it's too much. God moves in the darkest of situations. He moves because he can show up the brightest. Isaiah 60, when deep darkness has covered our city, arise and shine because the glory of the Lord is upon you. You. And that's what he's going to do. And so when it was going to be a river of Ezekiel 47 begin flowing as it did, where did it begin? From the tabernacle. It began from the sanctuary. It began from the pool of Bethesda. And when the waters are stirring, Gideon. God wants us to Gideon today. And God wants us to, to, dig, to dig deeper wells. In, in, in Genesis 26, Isaac took over the land and he's following his daddy's gone home. But Isaac has the DNA of Abraham and the faith of Abraham. And he had a job to finish that Abraham left undone. And I'm going to tell you, we have a job to finish that our forefathers have left undone. They finished the call of God in their generation, but we have a call in our generation. And Isaac knew it. And he said in the year of famine, he sowed and God gave him a hundredfold. And then it says he redug the wells of his father, Abraham. Now water and river starts from a well. It starts from a source. If rivers are going to flow out of our belly, as John says, as rivers of living water, bringing life, there has to be a starting point. There has to be a source. When I was in Africa and we were drilling, I've been there 20 years, and we're drilling a well on the children's home property, and we needed water. And somebody in Australia said, I'll pay for the well. And there was a set price, and the engineers came and started drilling. I'm out of town. And I talked to him on the phone, and I said, I want water that's never going to run dry. I said, these kids can't go without water. And if you're thirsty today, Isaiah 55 says, oh, everyone that is thirsty and hungry, come and buy freely. It doesn't cost money. But we're going to go deep today. Because most of the church is riding on the crescent of the waves. They're where the emotion is and the noise and the, wave, the waves that are breaking on the shore. But I tell you what, we have a spirit of God crying out from the belly of the Father. From Psalms 42, deep is calling to deep. 
and there are wells to be broken open. There are encounters and experiences that God wants us to have in him in prayer with these next few days and then going forward. Unstoppable force, unstoppable movement. Somebody visited us in Africa and they said, what are you? Are you an organization? Are you a church? Are you a denomination? Well, we were none of that. Then I said, well, whatever you want to call us. They said, this is a movement. This is a movement. And God said to me later, he said, movements that are moving have to increase momentum. And when you increase momentum, you're going to knock down monuments of darkness. Anything standing in the way, demolished, just like tidal waves. So God's increasing the momentum of his movement because he knows time is short. So so Isaac dug wells again. So here we are in Uganda. I said, dig a well. And they said, okay. They called me and they said, mom, we hit water. I said, good. How much water? Well, it's bubbling, you know, kind of bubble, bubble on the surface. I said, is it going to run dry in dry season? Well, maybe, maybe not. You know what happens when we're planted by the tree as a tree by living water? We will never run dry. We will bear fruit when others have no fruit. We will have leaves that are healing for the city and for the nations when we're planted by that river. And that river has a source in Revelations 22, comes right out of the throne of God. And we're going to drink from the source of that river. So it'll never run dry and it'll go out into the streets of the city. I said to them, that's not good enough. You're going to have to go deeper. And you know what they said to me? They said, it'll cost you more money. I said, I could care less. I'm not paying for it. (laughs) Australia is. So I said, you just go as deep as you got to go. And I remembered what David said, 2 Samuel 24, 24. I will not offer to God that which costs me nothing. And if we're praying and setting aside days of fasting, realize it's going to cost you something. But Revelations 3.18 says, if you don't want to be lukewarm, you better be hot. How do you get hot? Buy gold. Your faith refined in the fire, Peter says. Buy white linen. The righteous deeds of the states and the purity of heart. Buy salve for your eyes so you can see the hope of your calling. It's going to cost something to stay hot. Revelations 3.18 says it. 2 Samuel 24.24 says it. And Jesus says, you want to follow me? It's time to deny yourself. That was the call. It wasn't a matter of bargaining, conditions, considering. What are my benefits? What's my 401k? You know, Peter didn't ask that. It's a good thing he didn't need it. He went home early. And so, you know, we may not need our retirement and all those. He's the best benefit you've ever had. So when you said yes to Jesus, you already said yes. You denied yourself, not preserve yourself. You denied yourself. And you're taking up your cross, which is cost, and you're going to follow him anywhere, anytime, anyhow to any who, anyone. That's what it means. That's what it meant when we said yes. Same call today as it was for them. And so I said, you're going to go deeper. And he said, well, he said, well, ma'am, we hit rock. I said, I could care less. You go through the rock. I mean, I, if you know, I give orders to doctors. I give orders to generals. And I give orders to engineers. Because I know the authority we have from the throne room. 
It has nothing to do with titles or position. They don't know me from Adam. But from the throne room, you carry an authority. And there are four kinds of authority. And we won't go there today. But there's earned authority because you have, you've fought a few battles. You've come through a few fires. You have a few ranks. I call them scars and stripes. And so you've got some rank. You've got some authority. And then there's delegated authority. Jesus said, I left it all authority to you. Go do what I called you to do. That's delegated. And then there's inherited authority. Have you ever been, seen a chief in the village? His son is kind of next in line. Well, I tell you what, Jesus left us next in line. And he said, I, that's, your, that's your inherited authority. But you have a covenantal authority. And you have a covenantal authority with this city that I can never have. I don't own property in Memphis. I don't own anything. I love America and I'll weep and travail and lay my life down. But I don't have the same covenantal authority for Memphis as you do. But you're called as gatekeepers of this city. So back to authority. God's given me authority in Africa. Not, not by might or power, just by his spirit. I said to them, go through rock. And this is what he said to me. He said, if we go through rock, we're going to have to change the drill bit. I said, well, good for you. You just go ahead and change it. And he said, but it, that's costly. We're going to have to go try to find something. You know, I think when you're digging for well, I don't, uh, oil, you've got to use this diamond point drill bit because it's got to go so deep when you're going for oil, for gas, for whatever we drill, you know, fuel. So, uh, so you, you change the drill bit. And so he said, okay. So he did exactly what we said. He pulled up the shaft. And he gets the drill bit, he changes it, and then he goes through rock. You know what rock is? Resistance. Something difficult. I've hit up against a brick wall. I can't seem to find a way through. I need a, a, a stick of dynamite to blow this thing out of my way. And, and, he, and he's going to go through rock. So he goes through rock and he calls me back in a little bit and he goes, you won't believe this. And he's showing me the picture. He said, we hit water and it's 20 foot in the air. It's a geyser. It is a geyser. I said, how come it's so high? He said, because there was a second river down there and there was so much pressure that we hit that river and it shot up like that. And I said, oh God, that's the church. That's the church. There's so much pressure that's being pent up in the belly of the pride. And when we change the drill pit and the spirit of God goes deeper, deep calls under deep, he's going to hit a second river and it's going to gush as a fountain. And Zechariah 12 says, the fountain of the house of David for cleansing. And I'm going to pour out upon my people a spirit of grace and supplication. And they're going to look upon me whom they've pierced. And they're going to mourn for me as for an only son. Well, I tell you what, a fountain starts with a geyser. And a fountain turns into a river. And a river has a direction and momentum. And it cleanses. And Ezekiel 47 says, it brings life. Everywhere it goes, what was dead lives again. God's looking for the deep, calling unto deep. And whatever it means to you today to change your drill bit, get ready to do it. If, you've, if you want to see what you have never seen before, we're going to have to do 
what we have never done before. You cannot do the same thing today and tomorrow and the next day and expect God to do what we've never seen him to do. It's time we're radical. It's time we're radical. I said to somebody the other day, I said, do you know why people fear such moves of the Holy Spirit? Is because we might lose control. I said, oh God, may we lose control. Help us lose control. We don't have programs. We don't have, you know what just happened? Just the last two years, I've been over there 20 years. The last two years, I want you to see Jesus today. And before I come to Africa and, and tell you what just happened, I just, I just want you to see Jesus. I want you to see Jesus because when we come to him and we're going to pray for that drill, but we're going to pray for that second river. We're going to go in deeper. I want you to see how we come. And I want you to see why he's moving in these prayer meetings there. But I want you to see how to come. You know, I look at Jesus and I say, oh, Jesus. He said he gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5, 7, when we come absolutely destitute, broken, needy, we need you. God isn't going to move in this city by our might or power. He said, no, it's by my spirit. And God isn't going to move because of our traditions. We've held him above his word, Matthew 17 says, Matthew 15 and Mark 7, for too long and nullified the word of God. One pastor doesn't believe in the Holy Spirit or miracles. He said, can I come visit you in Africa? I said, you sure can. And I told the team, I said, don't you do anything different. If he leaves and the same as he came, that's not our problem. It's our responsibility to follow God. And he, his eyes were this big after one day, two days, and he's listening to stories about the dead raves and devils cast out and cleansed lepers and blind eyes open and, he's, and his eyes got this big. It wasn't me talking. It was testimonies, eyewitness accounts. And he says, what denomination are you? And I said, the Bible. I said, the Bible. If you can find it in there, we're going to go do it. If Jesus said it, we're going to apply it. And you know what? We have traded experience for information. We have substituted information instead of transformation. We have substituted and traded face-to-face encounters with God with virtual experiences. Virtual, I don't know all this virtual. There's another world out there, they said. People are buying property. They told me that in California. I said, what? Air? God's money? Property? Are we insane? We've traded everything virtual instead of encounters. Instead of face-to-face encounters. Well, I'm going to tell you, Jesus is all about face-to-face encounters. He's about eyewitnesses. He's about the experience of him, not the knowledge of him. Because when you experience him and you become an eyewitness account, there's not anybody that can shut you up. There's not anybody that can silence you. When you're an eyewitness account, I saw him. He said this. I looked in his eyes. He lifted the veil. And I'm not the same. So these kids are coming in off the streets. Because of Jesus. But I found out Jesus loves the streets. He loves the streets. He said, if I leave 99, I don't know if there's 99 of us here today. I'm going to leave. I'm going to walk out there. I'm going to find one. 
that's still out there. That's his heart. And when we come and we come humble because we're hungry, because we're needy, because we're desperate, not because we know anything. Paul said, I, I count everything as rubbish that I might know him. Philippians 3. And when we come like that in humility, Micah 6, 8, know you, O man, what's good. And what does God require of us? To do justice and love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. You know why he loves humility? Because the Spirit of God, like water and river, flows to the low places. It finds the low places. Jesus found the low places to come. He found a manger, the lowest, smelliest, unknown place he could find to appear. To appear. He found simple, poor shepherds to herald his coming. He didn't need a big choir in the platform. He would never have wanted that. He would have left because he chose obscurity. Because he chose the back of a camel, not an Arabian horse coming in the doors. Because he loved washing feet and he chose the simplest job of just making furniture. And the dirtiest work of washing feet because he knew his identity. He chose his friends to be the prostitutes, to be the outcasts, to be the broken, to be the ones no one else wanted. And those were his buddies. He called missionaries from uneducated fishermen. They weren't educated, the Bible says. But they've been with Jesus and they turned the world upside down. Acts 17. Because they knew encounters and experiences. That's all it takes. He moved with the simple. He played with the children. He refused the applaud and the approval of man because he didn't, he didn't need it. When we come to a point, I don't need their approval and the disapproval doesn't bother me either. I got my face set on Jesus. I asked him one time, What's your definition of faith, Jesus? Because without it, we can't do a thing. With it, we can win a city. I think I need that ingredient. It's a currency of heaven. All things are possible to him that believes. As your faith is, be it done unto you. By faith, you can move mountains. By faith, by faith. Yes, it comes by hearing, Romans 10, 17. But I said, what's your definition? He said to me, fixed focus on face of Father. That's all. I've never needed more. When I see his face and I know him as he is, nothing else matters. But we have head knowledge more than heart knowledge. We have information more than encounters of transformation. Do we know him? Those who know their God will do exploits. Be still and know that I'm God. But it says too much knowledge puffs you up. So what's he talking about? He's talking about the knowledge of encounters, the knowledge of experiences. Today I saw him. I've experienced him. I met him face to face and this is what he said. 
and this is what he did. And he has veils he wants to lift today. So when these kids started coming in from the street, and the first one, did it cost us something? You bet it did. He was an agent of Lucifer, number three. This is just one story of a hundred. But he said, I was hired for five years to take you out. I said, why me? Human sacrifices are done all over the city. Blood's flowing like water. 20 years of decapitation, massacres and death. 50,000 children abducted. UN said it was the worst and most horrific war they'd seen since Hitler. That's not, a good, that's not good news. And so he said, I was the third in line to be groomed as this dictator, satanic disc dictator next to Lucifer. If God can do something there, I'm telling you what, he can do something here. And the reason I'm telling you that is to build your faith, that there is nothing God can't encounter. There's nothing he doesn't know about, and he's got this. But he's waiting on us. Where's the river? Where's the geyser? Have you changed the drill bit? So in a place of desperation, we're pressing into prayer. 40 days of prayer and fasting. 21 days. Seven days. We do that three or four times a year. And everybody stop over your thing. You're doing eight hours a day. All night prayer meetings. Pressing in. Because the best remedy for darkness is just move light in. Can't fight darkness. Can't fight it. Just turn the light on. What would you do if this room is pitch black and you can't even see your head? You're looking for, a, in those days, it was a matchstick or a, you know, something. But you know, now you got your cell phone. Or you're groping for the light switch. Well, you just turn the light. You're not sitting there slicing at the darkness. It's not going to do a thing. Just go turn the light on. Darkness is dissipated in the light. Demons are decapitated in the light. I'm telling you, and it's true. So we're just... God, we're going to make a habitation for you. We're going to build a dwelling place. And that is in the midst of our praises. And that is living stones. I don't care if there's only five. It's no different for him to save by many or few. We're just going to build a place where you feel totally comfortable, Holy Spirit. Just come and move in. That's all. Just come and move in. That's what we want. And then what you do and how you do it doesn't matter. It's yours. You're in, you're, you're in charge of this. And so we're praying like that. Well, this young guy was abducted at 12, taught to do human sacrifices. And he was up to about 50 souls to 100 souls a month. And he had to bring those souls to Lucifer or he would be killed. He'd kill or be killed. And there's this hierarchy in the dark demonic. So he was at quite a level, I say that, to be groomed for the next dictator of the whole nation. Okay, the nation. I'm talking about a national stronghold. And he was about 18 when he walked into the house of prayer. And I said, why'd you come to prayer? Well, I learned a lot later. The devil, if he can stop prayer in your personal life or in the church, he knows prayer is what disarms darkness. And he has weakened you as much as Samson. If he can stop prayer. You know where the church is? Let me just interject this. I said, God, where's your church? Where's your bride in America? He said, still on the lap of Delilah. I said, oh God, talk to me. And he said, yeah, I called him to take strongholds down and defeat enemy camps. I called him to do exploits and he did real good for a while. And then he got seduced by the spirit of the world. And he went after a prostitute lover. And it can be called entertainment or pleasure or whatever it is in our lives. 
and he got distracted and off the call. Hosea calls it, my bride has prostituted herself. I mean, that's as real as God gets. But he said that in Hosea 2. And he said, Samson didn't know how to get out of it. He got so far down, instead of making a good decision to walk away, he put his head in her lap. And she wore him down. And I tell you what, what happens when we become a little bit mingling with the things of the world? We become a little bit half-hearted, then a little complacent, then a little cold, then a little indifferent, then a little apathetic, and pretty soon we're lukewarm, and pretty soon we don't know we're in a coma, and we can't get up except God. He wouldn't give away the secret of his strength. And what is the secret of our strength today? It's from the Holy of Holies. It's seated with him in heavenly places. It's seeing what God sees. It's travailing to give birth to his bride. It's being the true helpmate he called his church to be. That's revival. That's what revival is. And that was Samson's calling. But he put his head too long. And instead of walking away, the enemy wore him down. And when she got the secret of his strength, and cut off his hair. What'd she do? Wake up, Samson! The enemy's on you. God forbid that it's too late for the church. And I don't believe that it is. But I believe we've lost time. And we've lost ground. And God, but God, can accelerate to regain that. We can't bring back the lives that have been lost in this darkness in America. The filth and the pollution that's come in the last couple of decades. But we can cry out for those that remain. He's given a space of grace for revival. And when Samson woke up and realized his strength was gone, let us not wake up and realize we have lost our strength. So that young man walked into the house of prayer to blow it up and destroy it. And he had an encounter with God. I'm talking about just a prayer meeting. We were in a prayer meeting. We were just praying and seeking God and worshiping and pressing in and deep calls unto deep and encounters with the face of God and all of that in our prayer meeting. And he walks in and whew, the power of God hit him. He falls on the floor in massive deliverance. If you want to see what it looks like, look up Matthew 17. You can find everything in the Bible. Like the little boy looks like grand mal seizures and throws himself into the fire under demonic possession. And that's what happened. He got completely set free and delivered. He slept for two years in our house of prayer as he was discipled. But he won seven people to Jesus his first week of salvation. He said, you know what? He said, that's how many deaths I've caused. He said, oh God, give me my more lives than I've ever killed. Many, many more lives. And we went at four o'clock in the morning around the town, kneeling down at intersections where he had murdered and shed blood of hundreds. And we wept and he wept and he wept. And I realized again that God cannot allow us to give birth to revival and to souls unless we know how to weep for them. Oswald Smith has a great book little book, Passion for Souls, and he calls it just weeping. Do you know why I believe that's so true? 
is because when the Holy Spirit overshadows us, as he did Mary in Luke 1, he overshadowed Mary, right? And what happened when he overshadowed? He wasn't wasting time. The Holy Spirit doesn't waste time. When he brooded over the earth and the dry, everything was dry without void, in Genesis, what did he do? He created. It says he brooded and he created. And in Luke 1, it says he brooded, he overshadowed Mary, and he created. What did he create in her? He's dropped in her the seed of God. Worship is not just to fill a time slot. Worship is a journey to go directly to the heart of God, pick up the seed of God, let it be planted in our spiritual womb, and become pregnant with a vision of God's. And when you're pregnant with a vision of God, it overtakes you. You ask a woman nine months pregnant if she isn't a bit uncomfortable. You ask her if she isn't a bit stretched. You ask her if there isn't something moving in her womb. You ask her if she's not very hungry or she's sleeping or doesn't want to sleep because there's life going on inside of her. And when that life is ready to be birthed, which is to be birthed through the church, Isaiah 66, when Zion travails, she gives birth. In Romans 8, if the whole creation is groaning, there's fires, there's earthquakes, there's wars, there's famines, and it's happening faster and faster. Have you noticed? Jesus said expected in Matthew 24. These are the signs of the time. But when earth is groaning, do you know what it also says in Romans 8? The spirit is groaning. He's groaning with utter, with, there's no utterance. There's no words. It's groaning. What is he groaning for? The manifestation of the sons of God. He's waiting. The earth is waiting to see the glory of God on you. Hebrews 2.10. And it gives many sons to glory. He's ready to birth sons and daughters to glory, not prodigals. He's going to bring the prodigals home. And turn them into sons and daughters of glory. If earth is growing, groaning and the spirit is groaning. Romans 8, 11, Those that are led of the spirit. Romans 8, 14, Are the sons of God. The whole world is looking. Where are the, where are the children of God? Is there anybody that the Holy Spirit's leading? The Holy Spirit's talking to? The, where are they? And the world is looking. So if the earth is groaning and the spirit of God's groaning, don't you think it's time for the, the bride to groan, to give him a resting place where he can give birth to the bride, to the sons and daughters of the living God, settled in the belly of the bride. So this young man had an encounter with God. Seven people saved the first week. He's now one of the most radical evangelists you'll ever meet. Signs, wonders, and miracles following his ministry. And we've been weeping for the youth in the street. Weeping for the outcasts and the broken, the drug addicts, those out of prison, the murderers. And they are they. You know how they murder the most? They'll get on the back of these public uh, motorcycles. We call them boda bodas. And they'll sit as a passenger on the back and stab the guy dead take off with this motorcycle. They rob homes and they kill the owner of the home and then they just loot. I mean, it's just, it, murder is violent. Wickedness is violent. And it's, and it's just wicked. There's no other word for it. 
And so these guys are in and out of that. Drug dealing, prostitution, sex houses from six years old up to 26. One girl that came in from us 14 years old, she said, I was hired out in prostitution. I've been a sex slave, a work slave, everything else. And she said, politicians would hire me to sleep with their opponent and murder them the same night. 14 years old. I thought, Oh, that's double duty. It's double wickedness. Can you imagine the mental stuff in their minds? And so all these kids running the streets, they're sleeping in coffins to get away from the police. They're living under bridges. Talk about the outcast, the wanted. And, uh, and then you find their, I mean, diseases on their, wounds on their bodies. Some of them dying of hunger. It, the streets are full of them there and they're full of them here. And we've been weeping for them. One by one, they would start coming in. One by one. But I said, God, this is great. I'm happy. This is the first fruit. We're loving on them. We're seeing transformation. But I said, it's not enough. It's not enough. There's hundreds out there. And I'm ready for the multiplication and acceleration. Those are two words God's given us. First, it was mobilize and strategize when I first got to Africa. Now it's multiply and accelerate because we're running out of time. So if I'm going to multiply, I can't have them just one by one. God, I need 100 at a time. I need 50 at a time. Come on. Let's get them in. Let's turn them into, to, to, tra- let's see them transform to an army of the living God. And so we're weeping, fasting, praying, 40 days fasting. And here comes this young man. I don't know how God's going to do it. I don't care who he uses. You know that? It doesn't even have to be us. It might be the little widow lady down the road. And God just comes on her and, it, and, and, and prophecy hits her and she turns, starts turning the city upside down. But we're going to be participant. We're going to eat the fruit of it. And we're going to get in the movement because it's got momentum. So this young man comes in to break up prayer. He has a radical encounter, gets seven people saved the first week. He moves into our mission compound because he's in Bible school after two years of discipleship and transformation. And he comes and he knows we've been weeping for these youth and they're coming one at a time, one at a time, one at a time. And one day he comes to me and he says, Mom, I need you fasting and praying for about three weeks because I'm going out into the streets. And he said, I've worked on identity the key leaders in the satanic occult. He said, I know who the gang members, I know who the gang leaders are, and they have their city broken up in regions, and each, it's quadrants. And he said, I know the gang leader here and the gang leader there, and they're doing the occult and they're doing this. And he said, I've studied, I know their names, and I know where they live. So he'd done some research. I said, well, that's, that's quite impressive. And he said, yes, and I'm going to get him. I said, really, how are you going to do that? And he said, by the spirit, but I need you on your, on, on your knees. I said, okay, you just tell me what to do because we're all part of this together. So he says, you, pr- you fast and pray. So we're fasting and praying for about three weeks. And I said, and he, and he said, I'll tell you when I'm ready. I said, no problem. And I said, so when you fast and pray, God binds the strong man in, in Matthew 12. You cannot spoil the goods of a city if the strong man is not bound. He must be bound. Read Daniel 9 and 10. They couldn't see Israel released until the strong man, the prince of the power of the air over Greece and Persia was bound. Gabriel came and he couldn't do it alone. Took Michael to come, bind him with him. And you know what he said in Daniel 10? He said, Daniel, we're sure glad you didn't stop at 15 days. We're sure glad you didn't stop at 20 days. He said, it took us three weeks. We heard you from the first day. That's the power of persevering prayer. 
How many times do we say, well, I kind of got tired. It didn't happen in three days. God, let's just go on and let's go back to our games, you know. And we go back to our other things that distract us. God says, thank you for not stopping. Thank God in the upper room they didn't say, well, we've waited about a, a week now. This is getting a bit long. I don't think he showed up. Let's all go home. Let's break for a few days and we'll come back together if, if, if nobody's had an encounter. No, they're going to sit there. How long? Until. Until is a powerful word. You read it in Isaiah 32. How long are we going to keep on? Until heaven is broken open. Right? So he says, you pray for me. I'm going out. So that night I said, not only are we going to do three weeks of prayer, but I said, we're going to pray. I said, we'll be up praying tonight. He said, about 2 o'clock in the morning. That's when I got to find him. I know it's dangerous. The guy can just sort him. And so he goes out to 2, two 3 o'clock in the morning. He finds the first one that he's looking for. And God's leading him there. And, 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 I mean, we've saturated this thing with prayer. So he goes up to that first gang leader. And it took him quite a while to talk him down of his knife. And he's ready to just take him out. And he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've been where you are. I've been where you are. I know what you're thinking. I'm not going to turn you in, I promise you. Put your knife down. It took him three nights to get the guy to put his knife down. He went back the next night, the next night. That's called perseverance. He didn't give up on the one man. By the third night, the man dropped his knife. And he said, you're real. You're real, bro, brother. You're real. He said, yeah, I am. But I want to introduce you to somebody that's more real. And he talked, and he talked about how his life changed. Well, that morning, he called me up and he said, Mom, get dinner ready for 50 people. I said, 50? I said, who's coming to dinner? And he said, all the murderers and criminals and thieves and gang members you could ever want to see. I said, oh, praise Jesus. And so 50 people came to dinner that day at the house of prayer. And I called the police and I said, don't you even show your face. We got this. I said, you stay home and give them grace and watch what God's going to do. And they listened to me. And then I said, okay, you come. And we had dinner ready. And they walked in, terrified. They're going to look in this way and look in that way. But they came into that house of prayer. And they had such an encounter with God that they went out at the end of the day after food in their bellies and food in their hearts and transformation and worship. And the next week, they brought 50 more. They came day after day. And in a few weeks, we baptized 100 And then another few weeks, a hundred more. And the momentum is only picked up. We had three weeks of prayer and fasting, and we said to these kids straight off the street, you want to join us for three weeks? We're not going to eat. We're going to just have a glorious heavenly encounter. Oh, we want to come. Can we get out of school? We want to come because we already had them in our transformational home now. This is about three months saved. Can we come? Please. Sure, you can come. And they came. And there was more deliverance. And there was healing. And there was encounters with the Lord. And there was visitations. And there was words of prophecy. And there were songs of the Spirit. Within these kids, 
Three months ago, prostituting and murdering. Three months ago, dealing drugs and living in coffins and out of prisons, having such, don't tell me you have to have any head knowledge. Don't tell me you have to have, wait a certain number of years. And uh, God will visit the disqualified, the unable. He will visit the weak, the poor in spirit, and the hungry of heart. And I, what gripped me and just destroyed, I was undone. I mean, the whole three weeks were pressing into God. Sounds like a boiler room in there. People are on their face giving birth, crying out at the same time, travailing. And you couldn't stop it. Nobody controlled it. Nobody started it. It was just the wind, the move, the flow of the spirit going through that place. And I tell you, but what just, I just broke. I lost it when I saw all these girls that had been in prostitution, wasted bodies, murdering, and in and out of prison. They were on their faces, and they were groaning, and groaning, and weeping to give birth to another generation of prostitutes still out there. And I just said, God, the handmaidens of heaven that you choose to birth revival are never the ones we expect. They couldn't be silenced. They wailed, they cried, they wept for all their generation still out on the streets in captivity and in bondage. And this went on at the end of three weeks. Nobody wanted to quit. And I said, I wish we could pitch our tent on Mount Transfiguration. But I said, there's people out there still dying. The wave of the revival continued. Within a month, we had 100 more saved and baptized. And I looked at those girls and I said, girls, they weren't saved in the streets. They were saved in the delivery room. We just had to go get them. That's where they were birthed. We just had to go get him. What God will do when we yield in the holy of holies to giving birth to what is on his heart, not ours, but his heart. As Jesus wept over Jerusalem, oh, I wanted to gather you as my kids under my wings. But when I gave the prophetic voice, you stoned it. You wouldn't. And they missed their visitation. But God in his mercy is still moving across the face of the deep, looking for the belly of the bride. We're going to pray here in a minute and have wonderful times of prayer. But I want to say this last word. I was standing in church one time in Oklahoma before I went to Africa. I don't even remember what the pastor was preaching. I was in the very back and I would intercede for him as he preached. And all of a sudden I grabbed my waist and I bent over and I began sobbing convulsively, not attracting attention to myself, not making a sound. I said, Holy Spirit, what is this? What is this? 
And he said, I'm looking for a resting place in the belly of my bride. But I hadn't found one yet. And he begins reading to me Genesis 8 about Noah. And after 40 days of rain, when water covered the face of the earth, Noah sent out a raven that came back, but then he sent out a dove representing the Holy Spirit who lighted upon Jesus in the Jordan River at his baptism. And he said, I sent out the Holy Spirit, but you know what? The dove came back to the ark because there was no resting place. And I began weeping. He said, but wait. Moses and Noah sent him out again. This time he came back with just a twig. There's life. There's a little bit of life, but not enough to make a nest. He waited a few days. And Noah sent him out again. And this time, he didn't come back because he found a resting place. And I believe we're living in the day where the Holy Spirit is brooding over his church and is looking for a resting place in the belly of the bride who want to give birth to a generation and a city bound in darkness. Who want to give birth to a generation of sons of glory. When Zion travails, she gives birth. It's, isn't it something that in Jeremiah 31, the Lord says in verse 15 through the prophet Jeremiah about Rachel and Lamentations 2 says, get up in the middle of the night and cry in the streets for your children that are being slaughtered at the head of every street. It's an instruction in the book of Lamentations. And in Jeremiah 31, 15, he says, Rachel is weeping for her children because they've been no more. I stay in home after home across America and in every family, it seems, there's a prodigal. There's one that's gone off the deep end or a relative. And it says, Rachel is weeping for her children and she won't be comforted. I said, Lord, why didn't she refuse to be comfortable? He said, because you can't travail and give birth with the burden of God if you want to be comfortable. You got to choose. She chose to yield herself to the ministry of prayer and identifying with the needs in the city and the needs in the land as Daniel did in chapter 9 to see a nation delivered and a city set free. But then in verse 16, it says, you can stop weeping now, Rachel. Your children are coming home. The city's being turned. This is the heart of Memphis. And when I drove up here, I'd I'd been here before, but it was nighttime. I'd never seen the building. And I looked at this building and I said, I said, God, this is the heart of the city. You're after the heart, aren't you? He's always after the heart. The heart's where transformation begins. You can't change the outer till you change the inner. He works on the issues of the heart. And out of the abundance of the heart flow the words of life. Out of the belly of the bride. Before I went to Africa, I was driving to work at the hospital. 
And the Spirit of God said to me, he speaks to me in the car, washing dishes, walking down the road, doesn't matter. And he said, you've borne your children. You want to bear mine? What? I said, what are you talking about? He said, do you think your kids are more important than mine? I said, what children? He said, I got kids all over the world running the city. Outcasts, slaves, and prostitutions, drunkards, and druggies. And he said, but nobody told him they were my kids yet. I said, really? Where is that? I always ask him. He reads the Bible to me. He said, because he wrote it. Doesn't anybody know it better than him? He said, it's in Romans 9.25. He said, it says there, I'm going to call her my beloved that doesn't yet know she's my beloved. I'm going to call her my possession. I'm going to call that druggie. That's my prophet. He just doesn't know it yet. That little prostitute, she just doesn't know it yet. She's going to make another Catherine Coleman. She just doesn't know it yet. Because when all these murderers started coming out, I said, what am I going to do with them, God? He said, take them home with you. Get a home for the boys and the girls. We did. And I said, then what am I going to do with them? He said, clean them up. Fill them up. Equip them up and send them out. He said, you asked me for missionaries, didn't you? You asked me for laborers, didn't you? Here they are. I said, well, I didn't know I was going to do this. And he said, what do you think I got my army out of a valley of bones in 37 of Ezekiel? He said, that's the army of God. He said, you go turn the murderers into missionaries. You turn the warriors into worshipers. You turn the prostitutes into pastors and prayer warriors. And God is doing it faster than I can count. Not by might, not by power, but by his spirit. Are we hungry enough to be the bride of Christ? Do we love our kids more than his? Do we think ours are more important than his? Or ours deserve more than his? He's got a world full of kids that don't know they're his kids yet. And he's called us to be his bride. And a bride is a helpmeet. And a bride reproduces after her kind, after his kind. That's our calling. And many times when you give birth, at the altars of prayer, let me tell you what happens. Your flesh tears. Have you ever given birth? I've given birth. I just thought I was going to explode in a thousand pieces. Your flesh just rips apart and you think, get that baby out of here or I'm going to die. Well, Rachel died giving birth. You know that? And so will we to our will, our agenda, our time, and our priorities. How bad do we want it? She gave birth to Benjamin, which means God's right hand of power. You want to see God's right hand of power in Memphis? Some of us are going to die to our flesh giving birth. But it's not about us. It's about him. Because we're going to live with eternity in our hearts. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says they lived with eternity in their hearts. And eternity starting, it's today. It's not when we step into heaven. It is today. 
It's time we love his kids as much as ours. And God will trust us with the city when we do. Because if we're faithful with one person to give them our bed and sleep on the floor, to give them our meal while we go hungry, to pray all night for the next one to come in, he said, now I can trust you with the city. I can trust you with the city because I know where your heart is. And I know you won't be a, a foster. You won't just be a hireling to leave that baby when the going gets tough. You'll take ownership as if it was yours. You gotta love my kids that much because what you give birth to, you will die for. Hirelings won't die for things. They'll run when the going gets tough. But if you've given birth to a baby, I'm gonna tell you moms, you understand this. You'll do without clothes and food and anything to make sure those kids live. You'll die for what you give birth to. And God knows that. And he wants to know what's it worth it to us to see revival in our city. Is it more important than our lives? Or are we still in self-preservation? Don't want to be pregnant with this vision. Don't want to give birth. It's too painful. And don't want to take care of a baby. It's a mess. But oh God, it's a glorious mess. Oh God, it's a glorious mess. When those kids, before I left Africa this time to come, just a few weeks ago, I didn't go to our missionary team who knows God moves in the gifts and miracles. I went to our boys that were murderers and criminals and sex trafficking, and I walked into their home, almost 50 of them, just, in, just with us for three months, and they're preaching and prophesying, leading prayer and writing songs and violent and intercession, and I got on my knees, and I said, guys, just lay hands on me. I want the revival that's in this house to be carried to the shores of America. And they prayed and they wept and they warred and it sounded like a generator in there. And they're giving birth now to the next wave. And each wave will keep giving birth to the next wave of revival. That's how you can see revival that doesn't ever have to die till Jesus comes back again, 20 years later. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. God bless you, and I'll see you next time on the Memphis Tabernacle Podcast. Podcast.